Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Dave, by the way, uh, and I'm the senior pastor here at Hills Baptist. Just thought I'd better get out of the way. And hello to everyone online. I was listening in as I was driving. Doing a great job, team. It's awesome. Second Peter chapter one from verse, uh, I'll start at verse one and two, but the key verses are verse three and four that we wanna look into. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now listen to this. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. His divine power, everyone just underline everything, has given us everything. Everyone say everything. Say it louder. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. That's Christ. Through these, so His glory and goodness, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by its evil desires. Today I'm gonna preach on the simple topic of praying the promises of God. So if you're a note taker, praying the promises of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that Your Word is alive and active. And today, Father, as we open Your Word, we sit in Your Word, we pray, Holy Spirit, come. Come and have Your way. Come and speak, Holy Spirit. Lord, we just open our hearts to You, our minds to You, our lives to You, Lord. You are the only one who can bring life and life to the full. So through your great and precious promises right now, we pray that you would teach us, Lord, to stand upon your word, to pray your promises, that we might see our lives going from glory to glory and we might see your glory going to the ends of the earth. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, A number of years ago, we were in Sydney for a conference And the thing about Sydney is it has this thing called public transport. In Adelaide, we think we have public transport, but we really don't. Are you with me? Like our public transport is horrific compared to places like Sydney, where every 10 minutes there's a train. And so it's real easy to get around places, except for this one little thing. What happens is when the train comes up to a station, there is a gap between the train and the platform you wanna get to. Anyone been there? And what you will hear over and over and over again, beaming over the speakers in the train or if you're on the platform, is a simple phrase. It goes like this, mind the gap. Mind the gap, mind the gap, mind the gap. So there's Joe and I at this conference, catching a train, heading to the conference with our three quite young children at that age, trying to get to where we wanna get to. Holding hands, there's the sign, mind the gap, mind the gap, mind the gap. And really, it's not that difficult, you would think, to go from the train to the platform. 
And yet on this one particular morning, it's almost as if Job prophetically just knew what was going to, I'm not going to name the child that did this, but this child has a propensity, a little bit like me, of being a bit vague at times. And so we're walking along, Joe's got a firm grip of this child, mind the gap, we all get off, I've got two of them, off we go. And the next thing we know, there's Joe straddling the gap with a child dangling in said gap, firmly held in her grip. And she just looks at him, what are you doing? Lifts him up, puts him back. Let me say he's never fallen in the gap again. I've just revealed that it was one of the boys, not the girl. (laughs) But there's a mind the gap. And it's so interesting, as I've studied this passage this week, that story has come to mind over and over and over again. I could not shake it. This, it's so similar to life in this idea that there is this call to a godly life. Paul calls it in the book of Philippians, the upward call of God. It's like we're aware, we know that when we come to Christ, that by the power of His Holy Spirit, that He's calling us into a different kind of life, that there's power for transformation, there's power for change, there's this power available to us that we would be set free from things like habitual sin, that there's this power that would help us to fight the good fight of faith, to run the race with perseverance, to be an overcomer, to be more than a conqueror. We could quote Scripture after Scripture that that is the life that God calls us to in Christ Jesus. But the reality is so often, I don't know about you, but I feel like I find my life not quite aligning with the everything that God has given me for a godly life. Is anyone with me? That all too often I find myself dangling, held, by the glorious grip of God's grace that will never let me go, held in His strong right hand, held that despite my failures and frailties, He doesn't let me fall on that track. No, He holds me. But yet, there seems like there's this gap between my life and what God has called me to in Christ Jesus. And when I read the Scripture and the Scripture we have today, it sounds like actually God's intention is to take my life, your life, our lives, held in that grip of grace and actually to take us not just dangling in the gap, but to empower us to be set free to the godly life that He's called us to. Why? Not so that we can look at ourselves and say, hey, look at us, we're growing. But so that He gets the glory. Because He's taken these frail, fallen human beings and He's put His light in us and something has shifted and now the world can see that this person is different to what they used to be before. that we're actually called by the Holy Spirit to mind the gap. 
Which brings us to the question of how. How do we mind the gap? Well, come back to the text because the text says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him, through the knowledge of Christ. There's something in knowing Christ, knowing that yes, we are held in that grip of grace. There's something in knowing, in knowing Him intimately and knowing Him deeply that does something to us. And how do we know Christ? The knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness, through His glory and goodness, through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. How do we know Christ? Because He's given us His very great and precious promises. It's through His great and precious promises that we are able to move from the, the, the life that is just dangling to the life that is seated, that, that, is, that is standing on the rock of Christ. Are you with me? It's through the great and precious promises. And so that then begs the question, well, how do we apply these? God has given us His great and precious promises to help us move from there to here. And for thousands of years, church, the way these great and precious promises, the Word of God, the gift of God, was known as the law. And the way the law was interpreted was this idea like climbing a spiritual ladder. Like if I did this right, and I ticked that box, and I did that right, I ticked that box, and I did that right, and I ticked that box, and I, I'd slowly climb the ladder towards God and to the life that He had called us into. But the problem with the ladder is what? We just keep falling off of it. So at this point, if I was a stuntman, I'd fall off the ladder but I'm not gonna do that. We just can't scale the ladder. No human being has ever been able to scale the ladder. So we can try, we try, we try, we try, and every single time we start trying to climb up that ladder over and over again, we fall short of the glory of God. We can never climb a ladder to get my life, the broken life, the life that is far from who God has called me to be, to be living in the everything that I need for life and godliness. And so we've seen these great and precious promises as this kind of ladder to climb. But then what we understand from 2 Peter, he says, through Him. Another way of saying that is in Christ, through Jesus. And here's what I want us to catch. What Jesus has done is that He has come, the perfect, divine, He says, the the divine nature, the only holy, pure God. He has come and He has scaled the ladder of perfection and He's gone all the way and He's come all the way over and He has come to us and He has brought the perfect life that we needed to be set free to us. 
And church, catch this, in so doing, something amazing happened. Steve, oh good, we got it. The ladder. became a bridge. No longer something we just have to climb and climb and fail and climb and fail and climb. No, the ladder became a bridge. The great and precious promises, which I see are squashed and not quite looking as I want them to, but that's all right. The ladder became a bridge. The great and precious promises, no longer a law that becomes a weight that bears us down, but a bridge that holds us up. Oh, come on, church. The promises of God, it's no longer a burden. You're not running around going, how the heck am I gonna achieve that? No, no, no. The promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. He has fulfilled what He has spoken. He has done the work. He said, it is finished for a reason. And so now these great and precious promises are available to us, not to be a burden, but to gird us up and to hold us strong. And therefore our responsibility, our job as Christians to live the godly life that He's called us to, to be filled with the Spirit, to be putting to death the sinful nature and walking and living by the Spirit. Our job is simply to learn to stand on the bridge to stand on the truth. It's what Paul says in the book of Ephesians, doesn't he? Yeah? When he talks about that there's gonna be all sorts of stuff coming to knock us down and come against us to push us off the course that God's given us. And he goes, when you have done everything, stand. Stand, learn to stand on the promises of God. And so in the short time we have left, I just wanna give us just one example, one way that we can learn to stand on the Word, to stand on the promises of God. And there's so many different ways we can sing, we can study, there's all these things we can do, but there's this one powerful thing that God's been speaking, I think over and over again to us as a church, especially in this season as we step into a season of prayer and fasting, is learning to pray the promises of God. One way that we can stand is to learn to pray the promises of God. So if you've got your Bible, do me a favour, open up to 1 Chronicles. You're like, Dave, that's Old Testament. That's a bit weird. It's so, so good. 1 Chronicles chapter 17. The scene here in 1 Chronicles 17 is King David engaging with the prophet Nathan. And King David is this beautiful example to us because he is not just a king, but he is a, he's a prophet as well. And so, so much of what he says, so much of what he does prophetically speaks, even his own life prophetically speaks to the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, the true prophet, priest and king. And so in 1 Samuel 17, David has on his heart, he's got this desire to build God a house. He wants to build the temple. He's like, we've had the tabernacle, which is an old stinky tent, it's been around for 
thousand years. It's time for a temple. And that is his heart. That is his heart's desire is to honour God. He's like, I live in a palace. I wanna build you a temple. And so he meets with Nathan and he's like, this is what I wanna do. And Nathan's like, hey, God's with you. Go and do it. Nathan goes home and the Word of the Lord comes to him and says, he's not the guy. And watch what God says to Nathan. So from 1 Chronicles 17, verse four, watch this. I'll just read this through. This is the Word of the Lord to David. Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. You are not the one to build me a house to dwell in. I have not dwelt in the house from the day I brought Israel up out of Egypt to this day. I have moved from one tent site to another, from one dwelling place to another. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their leaders whom I commanded to shepherd my people, why have you not built me a house? Now then tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Watch this, watch this closely. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone and I've cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name like the names of the greatest men on earth. I will provide a place for my people Israel and I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people. I will also subdue all your enemies. I declare to you that the Lord will build a house for you. David's desire was to build a house for God. God says, no, 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 you got it all wrong. It's not for you to build a house for me, it's for me to build a house for you. When your days are over and you go to be with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring. This is how he's gonna build the house. To succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. I will never take my love away from him as I took away from your predecessor. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever, his throne will be established forever. Here's the question, who's he talking about? Oh, some said Solomon, some said Jesus. Is he talking about Solomon? No, he's talking about Jesus. How do we know that? Because Solomon didn't live forever. Solomon's kingdom wasn't established forever. In fact, Solomon's sons, the kingdom split in two, the northern and the southern. But what he talks about here is this future king, the king who will build him a true house, not a, a, not a temple which God, even when Solomon builds the temple, God's like, am I really gonna dwell here? Jesus builds the church and the Spirit of God dwells in the church. We are the temple of God. Jesus has established a house. So God builds a house for David. He establishes the kingly line, the messianic line, the Saviour's line through David. And in so doing, Jesus establishes the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And He will come again, church, to make all things right. 
So that now while we spend so much time tripping over this bridge and missing the bridge and dangling in the gap, grateful, grateful that we're held by the grip of grace, amen? So thankful all of us are desperately reliant upon that grip of grace. But a day will come when that grace will wipe every sin from the face of the earth and will restore all things and make all things new. And that divine nature, it won't be just a glory to glory slowly getting there. We will be with Him, seated with Him on high. That's the promise that God gives David. And I love what David does. Have a look at this. And this is a lesson for us because we have his precious promises right here. All of us have, we don't need a prophet to bang on our door and say, hey mate, I was listening to God last night and here's a word. You can wake up every morning and open the word of God to you. We have his great and precious promises. Look what David does with the promise. Verse 16, then the King David went in and sat before the Lord. How do we learn to stand on the promise of God? How do we pray the promises of God? Here's the first thing. Before you can stand, you've got to learn to sit. We've got to learn to sit in the presence of God. Do you know what that means? It means to zip this and to open these. It means to learn to be still. How many of you find that awfully difficult? Guilty. It is hard to say. I've told this story before. I, remember, I was leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of pastors once and I got in there and I said, all right, guys, we're not gonna have any of that awkward silence where we don't, you know, where we just sit in a circle and it's weird. I'm like, we're gonna get into it. We're gonna pray with passion and fervour. Let's stand to our feet. Let's go for it. And they're all like, yeah, come on. And this one pastor, he goes, yep, okay. And so he started, he goes, dear Lord. And I kid you, I don't know how long, he's, it felt like half an hour. It wasn't that long. He sat so quiet for so long and I was like, did you not hear a word I said? And I realised what he was doing was, you're wrong. <laughs> you might be full of passion and faith, but you need to learn to be contemplative. How can you hear God if you're constantly rattling off everything you want Him to do? Instead of what David does, and he gets the promise and he sits with it. to meditate on the Word of God, to chew on the Word of God. I was listening to the live stream driving down here. I heard Nick talking about turning everything off. There is such power as we learn to stand on the promise simply by learning to sit. And what happens as we learn to sit? Number two, the promise produces praise. Meditation leads to celebration. Look at this. Verse 16b, who am I, Lord God, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? 
And as if this were not enough in your sight, my God, you have spoken about the future of the house of your servant. You, Lord God, have looked on me as though I were the most exalted of men. What more can David say to you for honouring your servant? For you know your servant, Lord, for the sake of your servant and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made known all these great promises. There is no one like you, Lord, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. David lets the promise produce praise. But here's the fascinating thing. Praise flows out of a no. David's prayer was, I wanna build you a house. The answer was no. The thing that was burning on David's heart, God said no, but God's rejection still led to his rejoicing because he understood that the promise is not about his temporal situation, but about a kingdom that God was gonna establish. Friends, when we pray the promise of God, it will always produce praise regardless of our circumstance because we realise that God's ways are so much higher than our ways. And even if we're going through pain and struggle and strife, if we are grieving, if we are lamenting, if our hearts are churning and burning within us, the promises of God will always produce praise because all of them point to Jesus and the finished work of the cross and that I get to say, thank you, Lord, that you saw me and saved me. This is why we've got to learn to pray the promises because when we just pray our wants and our needs, we can get really discouraged when we don't get answers. Yeah? Like when God is silent or seems silent or when God says no, we're like, building you a temple is a good thing. Why would you not let me do that? That's a good thing. People will come to know you. There'll be glory for you. God says, no, you're not the one. But I have something better. And the only way we learn to sit in the better is when we learn to pray the promises, not our own stuff. There's nothing wrong with coming to God and pouring at our hearts. No, no, no. But let's learn first and foremost to pray the promise, to meditate on the promise, to let the Word do the work, let the Word get in our hearts and shape us and change us that all of our prayers would be sprinkled with praise. And then there's a third thing, which I absolutely just love. Verse 23 and 25, watch this. And now, Lord... Let the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house be established forever. Ready to underline this. Do as you promised. That's David talking to God. (laughs) Do as you promised. 
so that it will be established and that your name will be great forever. Then people will say, the Lord Almighty, the God over Israel is Israel's God and the house of your servant David will be established before you. You, my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build a house for him. So your servant has found courage to pray to you. The third thing we see is that David sits He lets the promise draw him to praise. But he also, when you pray the word, when you pray the promise, you pray with conviction and you pray with courage. You don't come to God being like, oh Lord, I hope that you will answer me. Do you? David, do as you have promised. Like, He's got some conviction and he says himself, the reason I can pray with this courage is because you've said it. You've promised it. Let me quote the great Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon says this, the best praying man is the man, and he means woman as well, who is most believingly familiar with the promises of God. After all, prayer is nothing but taking God's promises to him and saying to him, do as thou, how many of you love the old English? Do as thou hast said. Oh, I just... Makes me want to preach. Prayer is the promise utilised. A prayer which is not based on a promise has no true foundation. Friends, we see this in Abraham. We see this in Moses. We see this in the saints throughout history. When we know the promises of God, when we've sat with them, when we've allowed them to get in our heart, there is a conviction and a courage where we boldly approach the throne of God. God to receive mercy in our time of need. When we've got His promise, He said, I've set my word before my own name. So when we've got His promise, we come into His glorious presence with reverence and awe, but we say, here's what you said. And you hold it aloft. And it's not my desires. This is the means by which we subject and submit our will to His. So here's your word, here's your counsel, here's what you've said. Now I'm just praying it through and I'm saying, Lord, let it be done in my life. Let it be done in the life of my family. Let it be done in the life of this church. Let it be done in the Adelaide Hills, in Adelaide, in this nation. Fulfill your word. Do as you have said. Friends, when was the last time we came to God in prayer and we stood on this beautiful bridge of grace And we simply said, do as thou hast said. I'd love to encourage every one of us this week that we would begin to pray the promises of God, that we would begin to stand on all that Christ has done and realise these great and precious promises have been fulfilled. He's bridged that gap. And so we come with conviction and we come with courage and we come with a fire in our belly because He will do what He has said. The Bible is utterly sure of it. That our God is faithful and what He begins, He'll finish. Him who began a good work is faithful and He'll see it to completion. For David, that completion didn't come in his own life, but it did come. 
and we now stand on the fruit of it. And that brought David great joy, even though he got a no. May we learn to pray the promises of God. And so here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna invite my dear friend Andrew up because there is this bloke here, if anyone in my life has taught me about standing on the word and praying the promises of God, it's this guy. When we used to sit there in the interior space coordinators, putting chairs and tables up on a Wednesday night at Westbourne Park Uniting Church, we would talk about the word and he'd teach me how to pray through the word. So I rung him this week, I said, Andrew, we're gonna be talking about this. I want you to come and I want you to, I want you to pray through the word. Show us how to stand on the word. Show us what it looks like to have sat, to let that promise produce praise and to do it with conviction and courage. So let's welcome Andrew. Thanks, Dave. I sort of feel like just standing here and going, Lord, Just waiting uh, for a minute or two just to centre ourselves on the Lord as uh, we do this. But um, So I've got a prayer we're going to pray and uh, a bit later I'll get everybody to stand up and we'll declare a scripture from Colossians. But we'll do it in the first person. So it, Colossians writes it in a way that we're going to pray that you will have this and pray that you will have that. But when we get up, we're actually going to go and understand that Jesus fulfilled this stuff and there's nothing wrong with actually going and saying, okay, well, I pray that we will have that and I pray that for the church. We, you know, the church will do that. It's good. God is good. He's put it all there. And if we don't uh, know what to pray sometimes, it's just good to open up the Scriptures and see. So I, as Dave was talking about the promises, I thought I'd open up to Psalm 91 and just how do we find a promise from God and what does it look like? So Psalm 91 verse 9 says, If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Lord your most high. Okay, so it's saying a condition. No evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home. For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up in their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. We know that one. Jesus was tempted with that one too. Uh, you will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. Now here's another condition uh, or, and a promise from God. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. So... He also goes, when, when they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honour them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. If I'm struggling and uh, I want a prayer to pray in a situation, it's really cool to go back and go, okay, well, this is a promise. And where do I pray from? And where, where am I seated? Okay, I'm seated in a place of my flesh now is dead in Christ and I'm alive in Christ. I'm not in a place of sin. Jesus is actually going to do all the work. He's done it already on the cross and he's going to carry me right now. And the power to overcome is actually in him too. So uh, in Hebrews 10, 19 to 20, it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, 
Jesus opened the new life, giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. So we're dead to, to our, uh, our sin and alive in Christ. And as we sit in that, you know, we're going to pray this beautiful place of uh, Jesus has done it. And yeah, I'm just going to wait. Lord, I pray as we stand together in a minute and pray this, this prayer that is straight from Colossians, that we will just sit in that place of uh, you paying the price for us, you having the victory, and we can come in our alive with you and, and proclaim that uh, ask anything in my name and it shall be given so the Son can bring glory to the Father. Because we're asking it from a place of you, uh, not a place of our flesh. So we just pray that, Lord, in Jesus' name. And I'd like to invite everybody to stand up, please. A little bit nervous, got a bit of dry mouth. Okay, so this is, this is Colossians 3, 1 to 15 in the New Living, New Living Translation. It says this, uh, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honour at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life, etc., etc. Now, that's awesome. Since you, he's teaching us, he's telling us the truth. So now we go to the next slide. I have been raised to new life with Christ. Therefore, I set my sights on the realities of heaven. Now, are we perfect? No. Are we always going to do this in our flesh? No. But you know what? There's nothing wrong with proclaiming the truth of what Christ has done and where we want to see ourselves and what God wants for us and His truth and His authority and His power over our situation, our lives. So, if you will join me to proclaim Colossians 3, 1 to 15. It's fairly long. There's about four or five slides. Out loud, uh, it also says in the Word that um, the tongue has the, uh, what is it? The tongue has life and death, um, curse and blessing. So proclaiming with our tongue. Uh, it also says in Revelation, actually, that um, we overcome by the word of our testimony, by the blood of the Lamb, and that we did not love our lives unto death. Uh, when we overcome with the word of our testimony, and that's actually speaking God's promises. It's actually this. It's actually, okay, we're testifying what the Lord has done and what the Lord is saying or what the Lord um, has promised. So it's not like, when I was 16... Uh, you know, God uh, it took me to this youth camp. That's beautiful. That's to share and bring someone to Christ, hopefully, and, and to encourage each other and build each other up. But uh, the testimony where the power is, is in what Christ has actually done. And that's why we overcome with it. Anyway, so if you can say it with me, I'm going to go a bit slower. Cool. Uh, I have been raised to life with Christ. Therefore, I set my sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honour at God's right hand. I choose to think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for I have died to this life and my real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed to the whole world, we will share in all his glory. 
So I put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within me. I will have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust and evil desires. I will not be greedy for a greedy person is an idolater worshipping the things of this world. Right now, I get rid of anger, rage, malicious behaviour, slander and dirty language. I will not lie to each other for I have stripped off my old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. I put on my new nature alive in Christ and I am renewed as I learn to know our Creator and become like Him. For Christ is all that matters and He lives in all of us. Since God shows us to be the holy people He loves, we clothe ourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. We make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends us. Above all, we clothe ourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. We let the peace that comes from Christ rule in our hearts. For as members of one body, we are called to live in peace, and we will always be thankful. Hallelujah. Mm. Thank you, Andrew. Really appreciate that. So as we close, the goal of these last couple of weeks is to give some practical tools for us, especially as we enter this season of prayer and fasting. One of those ways is to open the Word, to sit with it, to sit in that promise and to courageously and with deep conviction pray it out. This is not name it and claim it. Name it and claim it theology is what I want and I'm just gonna speak it out. No, 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 no. This is about submitting ourselves to the Word of God and letting the Word of God draw us into alignment with His will. Do you see the difference? It is a huge difference, but there is power as we learn to sit in what God has already done and align ourselves with Him. So let's pray. And let's sing. Loving Heavenly Father, we do thank You for the finished work of Christ. We thank You that You have given us through Your divine power, everything we need for life and godliness. We thank You that You've done this by giving us Your great and precious promises. And so Lord, today we stand upon Your promises. We will not allow the lies of the world, the deceptions of our own flesh, Lord, we will not allow these things to have mastery. But we pray, Lord, that You would be enthroned upon our hearts. Help us, Lord, by Your grace, to think upon Your Word and Your promises. Help us to think upon these things, that our minds would be renewed, that our hearts would be transformed and that our lives would be to Your glory. Holy Spirit, come, have Your way. We love You, Lord.
Thank you, Lord Jesus. We bless you, Lord, and we praise you. Just as we sing this song, it's an opportunity for those here who who want more of this, who feel like the stuff that Jesus paid for and broke at the moment is weighing really heavy and you just like someone to come alongside you and pray with you. That's what it's all about. Humble ourselves before the Lord and He'll lift us up. If that's you this morning, we would love to pray with you and we'll have our elders and our prayer team if you guys can come and surround the room, whether you go to the back, the side, the front. Just wanna make that space and give that opportunity for prayer today. Uh, Prayer around freedom, prayer around breakthrough. Prayer for courage maybe. Maybe God to you, for whatever reason, has been distant and grumpy. And you need to hear that, no, no, He is near and loving. And He does hear you. And He does long to see you conform to the image of Christ. So we'd love to pray with you as we sing. So please come, team will come out. And let's worship our great God and let His promise turn to praise. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.